Sadama Meditation Society, Virginia, Full Retreat 2016, the 6th day December 5th, Interview English Myanmar Group. It's not how or what, but um, what process or how do you do to slow down or actually shutting down the overly active mind? Mm-hmm. Would you like me to expand that? Overly active mind Okay, what do you mean by an overly active mind? Okay. Um, basically you're trying to aware of what's coming at you, or the object. Okay? And some of them coming a lot. And so as a beginner, you just want to aware one at a time. But sometimes I think your mind is just like a little kid. It's coming all at once and you go, I'll take it all in. And then keep thinking and thinking and thinking. Sorry, thinking and thinking? More like aware and observe, observe, observe. And sometimes you just want to say, whoa, slow down, one at a time. But then they continue to keep thinking. To, and sometimes it's just overwhelming. You just say, look, I'm tired. Is Stop. it thinking or knowing things? Um, knowing is coming. Yeah. Knowing. You're right. I'm using the wrong word. It's knowing. It's more like knowing rather than thinking. Okay, so you're knowing that things are happening. Yes. And you're knowing a lot of things are happening. Right, and sometimes you just want to say, that's it, enough. Let's just stop, yeah. wait till tomorrow, we'll do some more. You cannot interfere with nature. You have to let nature take its course. This is what is happening naturally in the mind. So the the He says you you know Okay. So Sierra says you, um, you know, he said let, let nature um, do its own thing. 
and you, you don't sort of um, need to struggle with it. He says, um, this is the way the mind is naturally knowing things and you cannot prescribe to the mind or you should know the objects in this way or that way. You should never have an idea that I only want to know the objects one at a time. You know? That's the so that that's what makes it frustrating or you think makes you think it's overly active. Okay? But if you want to feel a little more stable, you cannot stop the objects from coming, okay? But you can maybe help yourself by grounding yourself with one object. Okay? And the other thing is he says you don't have to know each object individually quickly. He says, all you need to do is know that many objects are being known without having to name them individually or look at them one by one. You know, you can just, all you need to acknowledge is a lot of things are being known. That, that's, you know, enough. But if you still feel you need help, then he says, take one object, one of those, and stay with it, but don't ignore the rest. So maybe you know the breath, and then at the same time, you know that all these things keep being known. And I, I do agree with that. And maybe if you do that during the day or during meditation, that would work fine. But this is like at 10 o'clock at night and you say, I want to go to sleep. And so you say, let's go back to just one object, which is I'm just going back to my breathing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in and out. So I can focus on that so I can like subduce my mind so I can go sleep and then maybe we can work again tomorrow but somehow the mind goes no I know that technique so I'm not going to let that happen and it continued to <laughs> it's continued to <laughs> <laughs> you know if you try to sleep it's harder to sleep so the problem is not that you are knowing many things or that you're trying to anger the, the the problem is that you are trying to sleep. If the So it can be on a meditation retreat that your mind becomes so clear that at night if the mind feels clear. And that's a good opportunity to continue being mindful. Because being mindful is actually more restful for the mind than going to sleep. But if you at that time try to sleep, thinking that you need to sleep, then you're going to have this struggle. Because the mind just wants to do what it has always done its whole life. It just wants to follow its little habit patterns, right? When we are mindful all day long, we are doing something that the mind has not usually been doing, right? It's sensitive in a different way now. So at night, it might not immediately need to go to sleep. Sleep is to give rest to the body and sometimes the mind. But when you've been mindful all day long, the mind is pretty rested. And then at night, the mind finds that it doesn't need to rest so much because you know, it's it's being mindful. And then you also you can also find on a retreat, you know, and your mindfulness is continuous that you don't sleep for long hours either. Like you, you will 
you know, drift into short sleep moments and then you wake up again and you're aware and then you're aware and you might drift off for a little bit again then you must you might wake up again and then you're aware and you know you might drift in and out of awareness and sleep, awareness and sleep, but but the mind is always aware. So that's fine, that's good. Good. Um, I'm just gonna try to keep it short. But I I think and I, I do understand what you're saying. Um, you're right, mindfulness all day at night should be sleep very well. Unfortunately, I was in an orchestra, so there's a lot of snoring and noising and everything. That is when you're... Wake um, up, you know. Yeah. And, and, and that's why you're going to go, okay, go back, be aware, yes. aware of other noise, the snoring and all that. But don't name it. Just aware it's there. Yes. But at that time, you don't like what's happening. You should be exactly. watching your disliking that's exactly, mind. That's exactly so what... So don't listen to the snoring, listen to your mind. And, and that's exactly what I did, and that's why you keep saying no. <laughs> but anyway, I understand. I understand that now, and, and I, I'll continue to work with that. Yes, I know, I know. I know it's my... You know, the disliking mind says no, but di- you ignore the disliking mind, say yes, and keep watching the disliking That's mind. He says the disliking mind will do its job, and its job is to say no to everything. And you do your job, which is to be mindful of it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Get the officer, who or 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 Happy is when he sleep he blah 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 come like this. <laughs> when he when he say something every night he say something. <laughs> corner the very far the corner the one he sleep he repeat what he say. <laughs> so funny the mind is unconscious mind walking very funny. Whatever he says blah blah blah. <laughs> Blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. Whatever he said, he repeat. The whole night. <laughs> 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 this retreat, no very, very tense, very uh, uh, rigid, no silence. They cannot talk. But after the two ten days, <laughs> you are talking. Where's the opposite? <laughs> I'm constantly the brain do a lot. Okay. So if you cannot watch your mind, you cannot skillful how to watch your mind. Very difficult to suddenly. <laughs> So Sierra says, your overactive mind was not 
it was not the objects that you knew that was making you know it's the disliking mind that makes the mind feel overactive yeah if we don't know how to become skillful at observing the 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 dosa in the mind the emotions in the mind if we cannot become skillful it's hard to maintain samadhi in our daily lives because in our daily lives he says we are constantly being bombarded with things and then our mind is constantly liking disliking liking disliking it in between there's a worry anxiety and all the others yeah so so first he says we learn to be mindful and then we learn yeah so that's when we learn to be mindful then we learn to maintain the mindfulness and then we learn how to use the mindfulness to observe all these emotions and and reactions in the mind and that helps us to maintain our samadhi And only when you can learn to do all this, then we learn to develop wisdom. So whenever you come across a defilement in the mind, Seattle says, take it as an opportunity. Think of it as a good opportunity to exercise you know that muscle learning how to um, observe uh, the reactions of the mind okay um, I feel like I understand the practice pretty well because I uh, had opportunity to practice with Saidal before um, so But maybe I'm being overconfident about my <laughs> practice. <laughs> so I'm wondering how to check that. <laughs> And if Saidal has any tips. <laughs> <laughs> said, confidence is good. Like just confidence is good. Because confidence makes the mind stable. strong. But when we become overconfident, Seattle says, it agitates the mind. There's a slight um, puffiness of the mind in Burmese. It sounds like the mind puffs up. <laughs> overconfidence. Like, 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 <laughs> 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 a little bit of, of, of like, yeah. Like this. <laughs> yeah, like that. So, he says, so what it leads to is, is little little agitations in the mind so but all sorts of unskillful stuff in the mind causes agitation in the mind so he says it's really to be sensitive to agitation in the mind so and when we're overconfident yeah says it's because the mind is thinking in a certain way so the thoughts will sort of reveal whether the mind is becoming overconfident. So also notice what the mind is saying. It is a natural progression, you know. It's that if awareness becomes 
continuous or natural that the mind starts feeling more confident. That's a natural sort of side effect of having continuous. And as the as as wisdom starts to emerge as well, that also gives confidence to the mind. He says the problem comes in when we think uh, when the mind thinks, Oh, I can do this. The I is the one that starts to lend itself to overconfidence. Yeah. Can I ask one other quick question about meta practice? Does Sidal ever recommend doing a regular meta practice? No, yeah. He only says, if you want to do it, you can. He says, when the mind is clear and, and feeling good, you know, that's when you can send metta. Sarah says metta is like money, you know. When you have it, you can give it. So when it's in a good state, spread that feeling, spread the love. Yeah. <laughs> he says, yeah, if you don't have the money, it's hard to share it. He <laughs> says, then it'll just be words, you know, like kind of, yeah. Okay, okay thank you. And while doing a meta practice, he says, we can continue to be mindful, to be aware, aware of the words that we are seeing, the meaning, aware that we are reciting. Feeling also. Yeah, also the feeling, aware of the feeling. I have a question and a follow-up. My practice seems to be very encouraging. I find every day more and more awareness and simple things. Uh, I see, oh, I'm going to tell a story now. Uh, this is happening. I'm analyzing, etc. So that is encouraging me. Uh, I do find often lost in thoughts, but I think that this is just need to work, keep working on. Then I found that during meditation, uh, since I don't have objects that I have in daily life, I find quite often lost for a long time. So you really need to um, develop the skill of recognizing that the thinking mind is mind. And to do that, you have to acknowledge the thinking mind every time. Every time you notice your thinking, you acknowledge the mind is thinking. You notice it's still thinking, the mind is thinking. And you do this again and again and again until, I don't know, you know. And and always coming back to the awareness. So there is awareness that there is thinking mind. Recognizing that there is thinking mind. So you, you are acknowledging both. Acknowledging the thinking mind as well as acknowledging that it is the awareness that helps you to recognize the thinking mind. So, at first, a little mechanically, but just if you do that, 
He says you will maybe discover something else. And and you he says in your words, so you you think that you are lost in thought. He says, change that to just the mind. So the mind is thinking. Right? It is in fact just the mind. So ยูเรคเรคเกอร์ไนซ์เดอะทิงกิ้งเรคเกอร์ไนซ์ทิงกิ้งเลดาร์ยูโมเรคเกอร์ไนซ์เดอะเรคเกอร์ไนซ์อา
says when we understand that whatever we know is an object, he says that's uh, one level of understanding reality, that everything that is known is simply an object for the knowing. And that is understanding one principle of the relationship between So it's not something, it's an abstract it's an abstract concept that being known is the the role of everything that you observe. That is the principle, that is the, the, the that's, that is its nature. That is one of its natures, is just to be known. And when it is known, it has the nature of being an object. That's, that's the abstract. Yeah. He says, so although we use the word object, to understand deeply the meaning of that word object it is when you truly understand the role of everything that's being known. Relax, so I guess. About her R-E-L-A-X, relax. Meaning of the word yeah. So it's similar to say he says the word relax. He says it, relax is a word, but some people understand how to relax and some people don't understand how to relax. You know, so understanding how to relax is something you have to come to yourself. Yeah, and and that is that is reality, he says. Right? Understanding the meaning of something. Yeah. So that's why the Buddha often So that's why the Buddha explained and defined so many things for us so that when we experience it, we will understand, we will have a way of explaining the experience to ourselves in the right way. You know, so he defined Nama, he defined Rupa, he defined Aramana, which means object. You know, he, he defined all these many, many different um, natures in our body. He defined them so that when we experience it, when we understand it, we will understand that this was what I understood. So the instructions seem so clear. I feel like I'm, I'm learning to play music. All I have to do is practice, practice, practice yeah. for the rest of my life. Right information is very important to practicing because if we don't have the right information, we might practice the C chord all our life thinking it's an F, you know. So, so the, the practice and the information must always come together. It must be right information and that helps to give us right practice. And, you know, it comes together all the time. So now that I seem to be... He says, whenever we hear some information, Sianna says, don't just believe it. Put it into practice, test it out for yourself, see in your experience whether it, you know, it makes sense, whether the mind understands, you know, how to do it right. And... And only if it works, if it's beneficial, and so on, he says then. So we must always put to the test everything we hear and come across. Now, now that I'm watching and aware more, I'm more interested in depersonalizing, removing so much I. Is there any practice where I could try to work on removing I, I see the mind as just mine, not as me? 
Anything I can try? It's not so much important to remove the eye as to recognize the eye. Right? What have we personalized? What is it that we are personalizing? It is more important to recognize that personalization is being done and then to see what the mind is then actually making personal. Right? We say there's an eye, but what is it that we're calling an eye? We need to be clear on both. So we need to be clear on both counts. Not only the the belief in the I, but what is it? There must be something that the mind is, is not believing that nothing is I, right? It, it must be believing that something is I. It, it's holding on to something. What is that? So it, we need to recognize it. So the work of removing the I is not our work. Our work is to be aware, which means to know. And so it is to know that there is a belief and to know what it is that we are believing is an I. And when it's truly understood, the mind just won't believe it anymore. It's too easy to say um Yeah. It's too easy to say there's no self. Um but truly, he says, what is it? What does that consist of? He says, there is a belief that there is an I. Do we see that belief? And then, if we see that belief, do we know what it's believing is an I? So we need to know, we need to deconstruct it. And when we recognize it, when we recognize that it's a belief, then it's easy to say, oh, it's just a belief. <laughs> but even having... You know, deconstructed the belief, even if the mind recognizes the belief. And you don't deconstruct by thinking or analyzing. It's through observation that the mind must come across this realization. And even when we realize that this is a belief, Seattle says, we will still continue to use the word. We will still have to refer to this collection of mind and body, of this mind and body, as me, so that we can communicate with other people. Yeah. So, firstly, I have a very dumb question. Um, every time I, you know, some, I, when I listen to some recording, uh, ask you, Seada, about, uh, you know, some people are asking Seada about like, fairness. Uh, Seada uh, answered that uh, everyone has uh, fairness. Everyone has fairness? Uh, yeah, everyone has, Seada, everybody has uh, fairness. Seada answered. Fear. Uh, fairness, yeah, fear. Fear. Uh, Justice. Uh, no, fear. Fear. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, my question is, uh, like, societal or some, like, enlightened people, yeah. they, should not, they should not have a fear, right? Not true. What? Because I'm really like a serious. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.
So fear is in the dosa family, okay? And how much fear you have depends on how much you don't understand dosa. The more you understand fear or dosa, the less fear and dosa you have. So, so um, dosa and the wisdom related to dosa are on a seesaw. So on one end is all the wisdom that understands dosa and on the other end is dosa. And the, the stronger the wisdom, the less, the lighter the dosa, right? The, the less strong the, the wisdom, the heavier the dosa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So dosa is only gone if you're like, if you take the traditional, uh, this thing, it's the third level enlightened being. So that's when dosa is totally gone from fear all the way to irritation and sadness. And for ordinary people who are not enlightened, but when they are having uh, a lot of insights, if they're if they have if they're living insightfully, the intensity of these dosas, these fears, are much reduced. You can't say that they don't arise, but he says uh, they, they probably can't arise for long and their intensity won't be able to grow because of the insights and the understanding and the awareness. Okay. So uh, I feel that even though now I can watch the taking mind, some, uh, some uh, ideas, whatever, and, uh, but sometimes that uh, some idea with uh, like a very strong emotion. Some idea. No, some idea. Oh, some, some idea. idea. Yeah, some idea comes like uh, some question comes mm-hmm. with a strong emo- emotion. So, so that, uh, that 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 time that uh, idea the answer wants to get the answer, get the answer. Then, you know, the very strong emotion. Uh, so that like uh, in that moment. It wants to get a strong what? Emotion, you know, some idea, some some uh, question, some question has a very emo- uh, very strong emotion. So, if I feel that uh, if that uh, uh, question, uh, if that question cannot be resolved, it feel like a, um, it's like a, the mind so is hard to calm down. So, uh, yeah. This is, this is still a learning process. So in the beginning, it will be like this. It will not resolve immediately. When he first started practicing, he, he was in fear all the time. When he woke up in the morning, fear would enter his mind. That's what he woke up and he's just stayed that. The fear never went away. It would get less sometimes, but it would never go away completely. It would be always there in the back of his mind. Okay. So the final question is, uh, sometimes that uh, some idea, like some, uh, some might comes out. 
So, for me, uh, I want to know that uh, this is a wisdom idea or this is just a you know, creepy idea because like uh, some idea like from pieces or some technology seems that is a very uh, big future, like good. But uh, the other side so still doesn't worry about uh, my ability cannot, uh, you know, uh, realize, yeah. So for this kind of things, uh, I think it's so hard to build up like a uh, like judgment. Some idea, okay, just ignore that. Or some idea I can pursue uh, to go, you know, continue the day life. What do you mean so hard to build up judgment? A judgment is a, uh, you know, it's so hard to make a decision. Yeah, this okay. is like a wisdom needed to, right. you know, some idea looks, you know, can resolve some problem, but uh, it's a real uh, good amount. Uh, yeah. So you know, in the beginning, it's like that. That's a lot of delusion. There's not enough information. Um, then, because of delusion, then we can have. You know, it allows more greed or aversion to also rule the mind and the decisions. So, in 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 the beginning, you make mistakes. <laughs> Sierra tells a story of a, a yogi who, um, yeah, he was a businessman and he he had. Um, he, he had traded in stocks and shares his whole life. And he came one year to see Seattle. He came, he stayed for a few days, maybe five days or something. And he went home and he came back the next year and he said to Seattle, Seattle, he says, You're, the way you have taught me to watch the mind has helped me to make a lot of money this year. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Seattle wanted to know how. And so he said, he said, when I trade in stocks and shares, he says, I've always noticed these feelings and that I have and the decisions I've, I make. But he says, I seem to have made the same mistakes over and over again. So now when he saw those same feelings and emotions, he, he stopped making the same decisions. And he says, when he didn't, he wasn't ruled by those same feelings, like they didn't push him to make the decision. He, he could make the decision out of a clearer mind because he had he actually had a lot of information. He'd been doing this work for, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years. And so he, he knew everything. But now it's sort of like it all came together because he was aware. All the information came together for him and he sort of, his mind was clearer and he knew how to make the right 
the better decisions and he made a lot of money there. Is this in the past, you know, if he saw signs that the market was going to rise, then he would have a lot of craving. Or if he saw that it was going to fall, he had a lot of, you know, anxiety. But yeah, he stopped. He stopped reacting from those gut feelings and um, or from those, you know, instincts or what instincts from those reactions. Yeah, and without them, he could make clearer decisions. <laughs> he says, you know, marketing, marketing is a psychological machine. They understand people's psyche and they market things in order to make use of the consumer's greed. Yeah, they know how to hook <laughs> Yeah, and you know, the way greed works is like it sees something again and again and after a while it starts to believe maybe that's true. If it keeps coming at me if that information is everywhere, maybe it's true. That, that's what delusion believes. Yeah, so it's using, you know, it's psychological marketing. Thank you. Sadhu, I have a question from um, someone. I'll just tell Sierra and then I'll tell you. ဒီရပြစီရတယောက်ကအမ်ဒီရပြစီရတော့ဒါကြီးတဲ့ထင်ပဲအယောဂီကိုဟူဝါလွန်မုန်းနိုင်တယောဂီဆိုတော့နည်
So the story is, um, if you have a, a Dharma teacher who is well respected and you have an experience where the Dharma teacher is um, emotionally abusive, where because I think in the West there are a lot of private interviews, not so much in the East, um, where then the words used, the manner in which the, the teacher relates to you is, is abusive and uh, makes you feel ashamed or humiliated, um, makes you feel um, fear and, um, um, and anger. Um, so what do you do? So this, this yogi has already been up, come out of the retreat and the yogi struggles with, with several things. Um, <clears throat> finding credibility when telling her story. Um, dealing with the, the trauma of, of the, the emotions that are left behind and, um, and how to continue because there's also an association um, with the practice. So whenever she does the, I think it was Anapanasati, then, then those feelings come back because it's associated with that time with that teacher. And, and Seattle says, if we recognize such signs when we are in a situation like that, if we can recognize the signs that somebody is bullying us, that we should run. He says, get out of there. Don't let anyone bully you. It's basically bullying. <laughs> yeah. um, and when you're... Yeah, he says, we, we come to the Dharma because we want help. And if the, the treatment we receive makes us feel looked down upon, makes us feel like we are inferior then there's something wrong with that help. Yeah, so we shouldn't just um, allow us, ourselves to be abused. And he says, having come out of that and trying to bring this matter to attention, it's hard to get believed um, because the person is well-respected and well-known. And Seattle says, first we have to deal with our own trauma, you know, with our anger and disbelief and all this sort of thing. We have to deal with our own stuff first because we have to save ourselves. And, um, and then, he says, we can try to talk about it, you know. Um, yeah. And he says, in, in life, you know, in our dealings with people socially, he says this sort of, in um, 
this sort of like one-upmanship, you know, where somebody feels that they have a superior position of opinion or, um, you know, whatever. There is a subtle tendency, and sometimes not so subtle. Where the person who feels that they are in a superior position starts to get aggressive with the person who is um, perceived to be in the in the less um, advantageous position. He says we might, for example, seek advice from someone. And when the other person gives us advice, and if we don't receive it, if we don't agree with it, sometimes the person giving the opinion can get very aggressive and, and insist that we must do what they say, you know, um, in, in much more <laughs> aggressive ways than... And sometimes that person can be the parent. <laughs> <laughs> he says we we were you know we we can be in danger of of labeling our children all sorts of unhelpful names we can say you're useless you're disappointing um, you shouldn't have done that you know we can we can there are so many subtle and gross ways of putting someone down but Sarah says don't personalize it again we need to take responsibility, but we also need to see that this is the result when this mind doesn't have enough wisdom. Right? When this mind doesn't have when when the defilements get stronger and the defilements get the chance to, to say what they want, he says, then the mind is blind and the defilements do what they do. He says, moms and dads, he says, when we want too much for our children to achieve what we think that they can or should achieve for themselves or ourselves, <laughs> he says, we need to be wary of wanting too much for our children. He says when his nephew, um, when his sister used to teach his nephew, like school, his studies, um, he used to have to drag the little boy away because his sister <laughs> would get into a, 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 a fury because the child isn't getting what she's trying to teach. <laughs> He said it was like in an abattoir, you know, where they kill animals. He said there was so much yelling and so much noise and pain. It was like there was blood all over or something. You know? it felt like he says, he says as, as the audience, he couldn't take it anymore. He would go and take the boy away because he just couldn't stand it. It was too painful to watch. Yeah, and he says this unfortunately happens in human communication and interaction. But, you know, in the end it's just the defilements at work. Okay, so, interesting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I had a um, question on, like, um, 
sila or maybe sense restraint in daily life. Um, in my daily life, like I feel like I have good mindfulness of what I'm doing, things like that. But until I like I notice that I'm like binge watching TV shows or overly cleaning the house, or <laughs> sleeping in, things like that. If I physically restrain myself, then I can real I can notice that process a lot easier. You know, if I just stop exactly what I'm doing, I can see that per- perpetual motion a lot clearer and be able to really change my karma in a, in a physical way, I guess. Positive way. Yeah. So I was just wondering what the uh, opinion was on, like, basic sila and things like that in daily life, on, like, physical mm-hmm. actions. Tiglan at Tamura. เอ่อตัวเปล่าเอ่ออีมาสุยเนี่ยทุกคนตัวดิฐานนี่เนี่ยโลเทียเทเทเนี่ยจาเรียตัวบ่รู้ผิดแล้วซอตูดิฐานน
we could end up doing something unwholesome. So it's, yeah. <laughs> so whichever is getting its way, you know, whichever has managed to sit in the chair, it gets to use the computer. So, <laughs> so, um, so he says, you, so awareness gets out of the way for a while and the uh, gets well, in and well, watches well, the like, show and then, you know, awareness comes back and, you know, tries to watch the show too and then, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it gets some control. Yeah, but we know, my whole name, you know, you know, you know, uh, yeah. You know the Buddha said three things, right? It's in the Ovada Patimokha. <laughs> yes, and it's um it, it says do not do evil, do not do evil, um, do what is good. Purify the mind, right? And Sierra right? Unandamala, uh, you know, a very famous Buddhist monk in, in Burma, he explained why the Buddha put it in that order. Why did he start with do not do evil and then say do what is good and then purify the mind? And Sierra Unandamala explained in this little booklet, which I have a copy of, um, that. The Buddha put do not do evil first because he says he said no matter how much good we do, when we allow the mind to do what is unskillful, it diminishes the power of the good very quickly. So that's why the sila that we maintain, sila comes first. It's sila, samadhi, then panya. Sila comes first. It is to prevent us from doing what is unskillful so that the good that we then try to do is much more effective, has more power. That was interesting. Okay. So, when we do what is good powerfully, Seattle says, then we have less opportunity to do what is unskillful. He says, so for all of us in our natural or untrained state, um, you know, the mind's tendency <clears throat> towards chaos, towards the unskillful, is um, more sort of seems to have more power. And that's why we start with sila, to sort of restrain some of those impulses, to just have a reasonable uh, base from which to be wholesome. And then we can then practice effectively doing what is good. And Sierra says, when we do what is good, you know, we practice mindfulness and all the rest, and 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 what we do, and we and it gets powerful. He says, then the power of the ability of the mind to do what's in, unskillful becomes less as well. So when the Buddha said, do not do evil, um, it starts from the mind, right? It's when we can start with a thought, mental action, a thought about doing something unskillful that it can then, when it gains enough power, then we can put it into words. And when it gets more powerful, it comes out in bodily actions. So we have, we as yogis have to start by noticing the unskillful in the mind so that it doesn't get out. 
speech and body. I think this is this is maybe too complicated of a topic, but you were just mentioning the whole bullying thing. I was kind of interested in that because there was sometimes they talk about these teachers who are using uh, I don't know if they call it skillful means, but to, basically they do they're kind of like um, I guess they do things that might be considered abusive by some people, but then I've heard it rationalized as like they're doing these things with those people to destroy their ego or something like that. But <laughs> Ouch. I, mean, I was just, it's like a topic of, <coughs> I was just curious in it. So, but, Nobody can remove your ego for you. Okay. Well, it's not a good rationalization. Well, I heard examples would be. Yeah. It's not something that can be um, 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 facilitated. You know, it's not. This, this is an internal process. It's something that your mind has to realize. It's not, yeah, no facilitation. Yeah, so what happens is if the teacher, I mean, even if there is a teacher who wants to give himself or herself that excuse, um, Sierra says then if the teacher is not skillful and comes across a yogi who is not um, resilient? The teacher is going to destroy the yogi. That's not. I mean, if you destroy somebody's faith, that's mm-hmm. quite unskillful, mm-hmm. right? So bad excuse. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> I think in the Tibetan tradition, uh, there is this uh, uh, skill, skillful means. Uh, that goes back to the 9th and 10th century, mm. uh, stories of Talopa and uh, mm. Naropa mm. and Marpa. And um, I think uh, we live in the 21st century. And um, for a teacher in the West to use those uh, methods and justify them as being skillful when in fact they do destroy the yogi's uh, faith uh, in themselves or in the dharma is um, is beyond unskillful. It's a uh, It's a terrible disservice both to his or her uh, position as a teacher of the dharma and to uh, the respect for the yogi. So I think that's uh, it's a very difficult subject, uh, which is why Ma had that story, is it's very difficult for the yogi to unravel what happened uh, since there's a power imbalance. Um, 
and it won't stop happening in any of our traditions until we all get enlightened. <laughs> we just, it just is about power and balance. In the stories of Tilopo and Naropo and Marpa, it's very different because um, who was the grandfather? Was it Tilopo top? On our report. Yeah. Right. So Sierra says Tilopa knew Naropa's Yeah, he knew Naropa's um, potential. He knew exactly what he needed to do to fulfill Naropa's need. Yes? That was wisdom. He didn't do it because he thought that would help Naropa. He did it because he knew it would help Naropa. That's very different from a lay teacher or, or whatever, even a, a whatever, <laughs> a day teacher, who thinks that a certain type of behavior is going to help people. That understanding clearly and thinking that something might, you know, with an excuse for a bad behavior is going to, I don't know. <laughs> he said if, if the, you know, if the teacher knew that his uh, or her um, treatment of the yogi was going to give a bad result. Would the would the teacher do that? Probably not. So the teacher is just kind of like making. Yeah, it's just like using some. I mean, in some cases, I don't think the teach. It's not even a planned way of behaving. I think that you know, it might be the teacher just gets impatient or something. You know, and um, yeah, and. It's, he says thinking that something will work and knowing for sure is very, very different. No, Tulopa was enlightened. Exactly, <laughs> yes. But if, if we're not enlightened, I think it, it serves us to be on our best behavior rather than to believe that some unskillful way is going to be helpful. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I was absolutely confused. He said, Do you have a bus in the planet? Planet is a new you know, he's He said, It's not that enlightened people have. He used the word Joe. I thought he meant planet. So I was confused because I was thinking planet on his head. No. He said he doesn't have a horn attached to his head saying that he's enlightened, you know. It's not, you can't identify an enlightened person. So, you know, he's not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, change topic. Uh, I don't know if this is um, appropriate time to ask this, but I was wondering if Sayada had room his bag or the strength if he wanted to take, if we wanted to donate our own books 
to them oh. and take them back to the center. center. Okay. And then if, if it is an appropriate time to ask if someone could translate that into Vietnamese. Okay. <laughs> ตัวเมเลอเชียนพะบะมาปิโออ้ายซาอุติเปียนยูกอจินเนสรอตุรุตะชั่วไอ้ซาอุติชื่อเลยเชียนพะอลีไหนเนสโซเอตุไอ้
His understanding of internally and externally is that internal is the awareness and external is the object. That's what he was taught by his teacher. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's very different. I like that. So often the words internally and externally seem to refer to the external, like external to this mind and body, to the world external to this mind and body. But Sarah says it takes a lot of wisdom and understanding, a lot of insight to understand the reality of the external to what is supposedly external to this mind and body because we still experience it through the internal if we use that that classification of internal and external. So when the mind has enough understanding, it can see the nature of, you know, the nature of everything, even in the outside. It can see the nature of, of, of the of all the elements, you know, the elements, the, the mind, the body, number of and so on. It can see it in that. It can, yeah, see it in that way. Mm. Maybe not so abstractly, but it can see the principle of things. So he says... Um, it's not so much that we use it to practice. You know, he says, for example, um, if we know our mind, if we know this mind and the way it works, and if we know, uh, if we have the correct insight into how this mind works, we can sort of, some, we have a better, more accurate guess at what another mind is feeling or thinking, right? But he says, we cannot directly um, we cannot we still cannot directly experience somebody else's feelings right we can only know this feeling but we don't know whether that will be reflected in the other person so that um so the, the so there there's some limit to thinking in that way mm-hmm. yeah that's far clearer than any explanation i read okay yeah, so the words can sometimes be difficult to interpret. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Is there a difference between Chitta and Vijnana? You know, chitta is also vijnana, and vijnana is also a function inside the chitta. 
So what happens is somebody says or does something, right? And we uh, think of it in a certain way, right? When the person says or uh, does something, it's like we think of it in a certain way. And the way we think about it has upset us. So it's the way we think about it. So say the same, the same action, whatever this person did. Uh, a child came and did it to you. Would you be as angry? It's still painful. <laughs> yeah, or somebody who loves you comes and says that to you. Maybe more pain. <laughs> Maybe more pain. Yeah, I think what he's trying to point out is that, you know, it's um, when different people, uh, you know, when something comes at us from 
from outside. It's how we think about it that determines how the mind accepts it. And if the mind thinks of it in a certain ways, um, sometimes it can just be because the mind is vulnerable, right? But whatever it is, when the mind takes it in certain ways, then if, if it's in a way that is um, um, not positive, then this mind can get hurt, right? So in an ultimate sense, right, this mind is responsible for its own feelings in an ultimate sense. Of course... He says, so, now think of the reverse, right? Can other people make you happy? He says, yeah, we believe that. That's why we get married. He said, if you know, never believe that someone else can give us happiness, if we go in with that belief, you know, we will be disappointed. We can still, yeah, but in the end, um, you know, in a healthy way, he says, really, we. This mind makes this mind happy, and this mind makes this mind unhappy. Yeah, so um, the thoughts we think determine how we feel, right? And our mind is a, is a cause-effect process, right? So this mind is affecting this mind all the time. ไหนเอาไม่ต้องเอาเอามาไทยสุดอ่ะยันนี่แหละยันตัวไอ้มากูโบดิเกติมากูเซเซียเราคุณน่ะบอกคุณเดี่ยวเดี่ยวเดี่
And then the yogi realized that it wasn't the noise that was making the yogi angry. If the yogi could, you know, now the anger is not there anymore, the sound is still there clearly, it couldn't have been the noise, it's something else and it's inside. So that's how. So this is how we, um, you know, uh, sort of like get discover wisdom. You know, we we or realize um, we we have all these experiences, and we must be we must persevere. We must persevere and watch and observe. And when things, you know, as we watch and things change, it gives us an opportunity to learn something. That's how we realize things. So we're not trying to fix anything, right? We're not trying to make anything go away. We're not trying to make anything go away. Right? We are just watching so that we may learn something from whatever happens. He likes the English phrase watching and learning. She says that's what Vipassana is about. <laughs> I said, isn't it in Burmese too? He said, yes, yes. In Burmese we say, well, wait, watch. It's two words, Samchi. It's, it's sort of like, um, like sitting and waiting and watching, you know. And in uh, 23 points, it's, it's translated as wait and watch, <laughs> which some people have a lot of problems with. <laughs> They're like, waiting for what? Second question. Can I use my... Um, I always have my sensation of my fingers yes. all the time. Yeah. So can I use my sensation of my finger instead of my right? Yes, you can use those sensations. Whatever you can feel directly, you can observe any part of your body. So yes, you can ignore your rising falling and just watch the sensations on your fingers. Instead, instead of rising falling. Yes. Some people watch a sensation on their head here. You know, the tips of our bodies, um, for some people, it's more sensitive. Like we can feel our toes and our fingertips and the top of our heads. You know, it's, it's places where I think maybe the blood seems to, maybe they, it, the blood doesn't turn or something. He says we can feel the pulse there more easily. I don't know. <laughs> he says probably rising falling is much more difficult than knowing those. Yeah. <laughs> he says there are yogis not being able to watch rising falling do funny things like that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, 
sitting meditation. So you are still in rising falling. My intention is that you know. ชีเดเลยตัวชีเดชีเดสุราไอ้ลูกนี่ว่าชีเดเยอะโซเดอร์สเดอร์อิสโยกิสเอ่อฮูดูทิงส์ไลค์แบบโซเวนเชียโนอ
So, um, the yogi wants some feedback from Seattle about her practice. And um, so she notices that, you know, she tries to keep her mindfulness continuous and notices when she loses her mindfulness. She notices when she's walking that she's knowing three or four objects, sometimes two or three objects, and sometimes, um, and sometimes she notices how uh, she's aware of, um, like mostly seeing, hearing, touching, you know, moving and all. Then she realizes, oh, I, I don't know tasting when I'm walking, and then you know her attention goes straight into the mouth, and she can feel the you know moisture in the mouth and so on, and um, then she's noticed. When eating, um, you know, that she's seeing and, and then when she's taking the food, her mind making choices and noticing the old ideas that uh, feed into the choices she makes, like beliefs about, you know, whether she should eat something first or that eating something is better or something like that. And, um, and then, you know, she's mindful when using the bathroom and, the, um, and so on. And, um, and sometimes... She, like this, um, you know, she knows a little bit less, yeah. And then she, she has this sensation that she's always known um, strongly before, but now she knows that 
she doesn't have to pay attention to it because it's always there. So it's somewhere in the background, um, but in the throat and the chest, sometimes some tension increases. So some tension begins, and Sarah says, if there's, she asked, what should she watch then? And Sarah says, if it's tension in the throat and the chest area, usually it's a sign that something's happening in the mind. And so she should check her, her attitude, or what she feels, or what she's thinking, or how her mind is working. But um, she says she's been checking, but she hasn't noticed anything yet. And he said, that's fine. In the beginning, it's just about working on it. That's it. I have a question about uh, uh, Sutta. Uh, Sutta, you know, Abhidhamma, like. Sutta, Abhidhamma. Sutta, Abhidhamma. Sutta. Yes. Last retreat, uh, when I was in uh, UCLA retreat, some, some yogi recommended me to read Abhidhamma. Uh, he told me Abhidhamma is uh, you know, very interesting and uh, very helpful. Abhidhamma is explained by this reality, body and nama and rupa. Right. So later I try to learn it, but uh, sometimes I feel very confused. The words in when you read about Abhidhamma, the words are very confusing because they use things like formative and normative, and I don't even know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Chinese Abhidhamma, English Abhidhamma. Were well, you reading the yeah, Abhidhamma in Chinese I'm, or in English? I'm uh, listening to some uh, other teachers, uh, you know, recording. Chinese. Chinese. Yeah. Chinese, if you listen to the ones in Chinese, it's mixed between Mahayana and... Yeah, so it can become even more confusing. Oh, this way, right. Yeah. yeah, if you want to, like, if you want, you want to get all this stuff, then you've got to read Theravada stuff. Okay, because they talk about the, like, the... Priest life, this life, next life, this, this, I'm very confused. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he says it's confusing if we don't believe in it, you know. So then you're like, oh, it's not like that. But he says if you just say, okay, this is what it says, you know, just leave it at, as that, then it's okay. Does, it's, does tomorrow exist? Right. Does it? Can you see tomorrow? Um, I can't see what I believe. Why do you believe? Okay. <coughs> 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 
So um, the yogi asked whether she should always just let her mind know whatever it knows or um, or um, do anapana sometimes. And Sarah says, um, the Satipatthana Sutta is, um, is a practice to cultivate the five faculties, right? The, the five faculties by um, uh, prioritizing the sati, right? By prioritizing the remembering of the moment. And um, so it's using sati in, to strengthen all the five faculties. So that's how we meditate. And so we can use any object because sati is just about remembering the right object and, um, and what is wholesome. And so whatever we uh, remember or are aware of, it's fine. Um, so he says, and so she asked whether she can sometimes be open to all objects and sometimes choose to pay attention to one object. And he says, yes, she can experiment, right? Because in all of it, there is awareness. Eventually, Sarah says, the, the goal is to get to the awareness, is to really know the awareness, is to appreciate the awareness. It's to be in a place where we know there is awareness. <laughs> So according to the Satipatthana Sutta, there are four objects. The objects are body, feeling, mind, and dhamma. But the, the way to know them is um, awareness, right? And in fact, the four objects are three because um, first there is body, feeling, and mind. And when we understand that these are all nature, then it's dhamma. Dhamma means we understand that the body, feelings, and mind are just dhammas, just nature. to ask about how we effectively um, apply awareness in the subject of love uh, in a non-attachment way. Only wisdom can do that. <laughs> Delusion makes us attached to everything. Delusion thinks everything is great. <laughs> And as we practice and we uh, repeatedly experience, you know, the things that we observe and the things that we do, we observe that this has good result, that has not good result, this has good result. That we repeatedly observe until we, we can differentiate, we see, discern clearly the difference between what exactly is good, what exactly is not a, 
what exactly is skillful and not skillful, then the mind starts to understand and realize, and it chooses on its own to do more of what is skillful and less of what is unskillful. Loving kindness. Wow, what is a loving kindness? What is attachment? I love seeing things. If we are that clear, it would be pretty okay. Loving kindness, okay, probably. Attachment, go, 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 go. If it's loving kindness, carry on, he says. If it's attachment, he says, tuk, 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 put it aside. <laughs> attachment is suffering like that. Because attachment, well, is going to bring suffering. Any other questions? Any other questions? No? Yes. Good morning. Uh, this is more like a report. It's not really a question. Um, he always likes reports more than... Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I look like when wherever we sit down and meditate, and I always feel like there is a desire to sit down and meditate. Oh, uh, but then, when I follow Sayadaw all over the place, uh, I feel there's no desire. Just walk. Just walk, and then aware of everything around myself and aware, well, in front of me. So I, this morning, I say, why is there is a difference? Is my mind is not balanced? So what I did is I take the experience from walking with Sayadaw apply to the meditation. To the meditation hall? To the meditation, just sit. And then just open it up. It's different. Then I can see a lot of different things happen, objects happen. I can see the thought based on the theory. I say, oh, they just, the thought, let it go. They say, let it go. And that's what I did. So, as when then this morning when we have breakfast, which is I told you, I have a sandwich in my hand. <laughs> then I went downstairs to eat the breakfast. As soon as I get a tray, I saw a bowl, uh, the big part of the rice soup. Then the salty egg. Mm. For whatever reason, the, my mind say, go ahead and get it. And then my hand just go out, grab a bowl, and just scoop it in. Then I, so I walk a, across the table. Then I saw the muffin. Then all of a sudden, my mind say, go grab it. And then I, my hand is just going back and put it in. <laughs> and I walk all the way to the end. Then I saw the oatmeal. <laughs> then I say, my mind say, Go ahead and get it. That's why I just want to put it. Your mind so 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 I walk all the way back to the table. I sit down. Then I question myself how I'm supposed to eat all of this. <laughs> so I just add. Then I say, Oh, if I eat the sandwich, I would not be able to meditate because I will sleep all the way through. So that's where I stop. So that's the report I want to report to Sarah. So Sarah says it's not only when we eat that we have greed, no? it's before we eat. Already the greed is very big, so anything it sees is like, okay, let's try that. Go ahead and get that. <laughs> yeah. Sarah says about you know the sitting meditation. Sarah says, he doesn't want to sit meditation, and he doesn't walk, want to walk meditation. Sarah just wants to be aware. He just wants to cultivate awareness, meditate. You know, meditate for him is 
ที่จะสู้วอนติงทูแพคทิสเมดิเทชั่นดัตส์เฟสที่จะบอกวอนติงทูซิทหรือวอลค์ที่จะเนี่ยสัมอัตเทชเมนต์ทูเดอะพอส